just to say with that, resting in God's presence, if you're new to all of this and you're, you're not a Christian, then don't worry about it. I think you may well have just sent something there yourself and hopefully you felt safe and you felt peaceful as a result of that. And then just as you continue to journey with us, that'll make more sense as, as you go on. So yeah, that was just an incredible experience there. And I want to speak into it. I did start to get ahead of myself there. I talked about the fellowship of all believers, and we'll get to that uh, a little later on. But the church, that's what I want to start with, the church. What we're, what we're doing here, what we're doing here and now, gathering, singing, praying, listening, speaking. I mean, when you think about it, when you think about the church, what a wild and crazy idea that is. People gathered from all different outlooks, experiences, cultures, ethnicity, age, gender, economic, financial and academic backgrounds and lifestyles together in community to worship God. Have you ever thought about that? How brave and courageous and revolutionary the church is. That we are here and now following a movement, an expression of life and and faith that came through the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. And was founded 2,000 years ago by the apostles, those first disciples of Jesus. Following that, the church deepened and expanded to to circle the globe and it stood against persecution from the outside and heresy from the inside to continue to preach the good news about Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection, his forgiveness of sins. And the church exists, exists so that we can love God and we can love each other, fulfilling Fulfilling the two greatest commandments. And it may sound absurd. It may sound absurd, but it was Jesus. Jesus having meals of fish with fishermen, talking about the kingdom of God that brought this, the church, into being. This is week three. Week three in our five-week series called Come Dine With Me. And it is an invitation, an invitation. It's about creating hunger in us as each week we're looking at a different course. We've looked at bread. We've looked at meat. We're about to look at fish and a hunger for fellowship. Then there is wine and there's fruit to come. So an exciting finish to the series ahead. And where I'm going to start with this, where I'm starting, is in the the closing scenes of two of the Gospels. Where Jesus, Jesus is having meals of fish with fishermen. That's where we're starting. Then I want to rediscover, rediscover a word. A word that for me defines what we're getting to see here. The word, and you've heard it a number of times already, is fellowship. Fellowship. And having rediscovered and spoken into that word, we will move into the book of Acts with Some moments where fellowship comes to the fore. And as we look at these, I'm going to ask the questions, the questions that through reading the Bible, God has been asking me. And then the answers, the answers to those questions that have come. But more than that, what I want to come through this is a hunger, a hunger in me, a hunger in you, a hunger for Jesus and a hunger for fellowship. The Gospels then, 
The Gospels are four accounts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They each have different authors, and at times they capture different aspects of the, the Jesus story. And if I can live anywhere, if I can live anywhere in the Word of God, it is here in the Gospels, getting as close as I can to Jesus. And I'll read these more than anything else. And in these two scenes, these two scenes, we get the calm after the storm. The disciples, the disciples, those 12 followers, they had seen it all. They had watched Jesus, the man, the man they had lived with for, for three years who they'd come to believe was the Messiah, the the saviour of God's people. They'd watched him die on a cross and their hopes had been dashed on the shoreline. But Jesus, on the third day, was resurrected to life and he returned. He returned to the disciples to offer convincing proof that he was alive. He returned to minister and to teach and to speak into their doubts and their distress, to call out strength and to impart what would be needed to found the church, to release the power of the gospel. In Luke chapter 24, we get the first closing scene. Luke chapter 24. And the disciples were together. They were together talking. Two of them, two of them had already met who they now realized to be the resurrected Jesus. And starting to read in verse 36. So that's Luke chapter 24, verse 36. It says, While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. It makes sense, doesn't it? They were as ill-prepared as we would have been to see a dead person standing in front of them. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands, look at my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And what comes through here, what comes through is the physical presence of Jesus. It seems essential to everything else that would happen next, that the disciples knew Jesus was physically with them at this time. Not a ghost, not a a being without substance, but flesh and bones. When he, when Jesus had said this, He showed them his hands and feet. And while they still not did believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Jesus needed food, a piece of broiled fish. And I don't think it was because the food in heaven is nasty. I'm hoping not. But again, again here, it was about the physical presence of the Son of God, flesh and bones, mouth and stomach, eating with them. Jesus then opened the scriptures to them, the law of Moses, the prophets and the, and the Psalms. He, he brought understanding to the days that they just lived through. And he was in, Jesus was in one of their homes, around a table, eating fish with fishermen. And what I want us to get here. What creates, a, what creates a hunger in me is that physical presence. Jesus was alive. He was resurrected from the dead. 
He offered convincing proof, proof that one day in the future these disciples would give their lives for. They would be martyred because of what they experienced here. The physical presence of the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus is alive here and now. Jesus is alive. He may not walk in on me on a Friday night when I'm eating my fish and chips and ask for a piece of battered cod. He may not, but the presence of Jesus The everyday, ongoing relationship with him means that Jesus is with me on a Friday night. He's with me on a Monday morning. And here now as we meet together as church, Jesus is among us. And I hunger and I pray that we all hunger for more of his presence. The second second closing scene comes in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 21, John chapter 21, Simon and Peter and a number of the the other disciples were out fishing on the the Sea of Galilee. And Peter had gone back, he'd gone back to where he thought that he belonged. He denied knowing Jesus three times during the trial. And maybe, just maybe this was like therapy for him after the guilt and the, the shame of surrendering his friend and master to die alone and it was early it was early in the morning and Jesus the the resurrected Jesus stood on the on the shoreline but they hadn't realized who it was Jesus called out to them it was it was like a a throwback to their first encounter with him three years earlier at the start of the gospel when they had left everything and and followed him And in that, in Jesus shouting out to them and in the catching of the fish, they recognized who it was. It was Jesus calling them again. And Peter, Peter jumped into the water and he part ran and he he part swam to Jesus on the beach where he sat down and was soon joined by the other disciples sitting around a fire that Jesus had lit. And there was fish and there was bread cooking. And starting to read in verse 13, it says, verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? It was an intimate question probing the guilt and the the shame that Peter must have been feeling. Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And what I want us to get here, what I want us to get here is that this was Jesus. Jesus who called himself the good shepherd, the good shepherd, talking to Peter, Peter the, the fisherman. And both of them knew the language of hunger and provision. It wouldn't be fish and sheep anymore. It would be people. It would be putting down the nets. It would be coming fishers of men and then shepherding and pastoring and feeding the sheep. The fishing and the shepherding would become pictures of this. But the outworking, the outworking would be the church. It would be this. It would be what we see and experience here. And Jesus, Jesus was calling out of Peter what he must do. Three times he asked the same question of him. And Peter's love for Jesus would be shown in the feeding, in the caring, and in the feeding again of the sheep. 
And there is, there is a, a word, a word that I want to use here. A word that describes these two moments. And the word is fellowship. Fellowship, which in Greek, the original language that the New Testament was written in, it is koinonia. Koinonia, fellowship. And it means the, the close association between persons. And it emphasizes what is common between them. And for me, this is a, a rediscovery, a rediscovery. Because the word fellowship, it has connections. It has connections. And maybe for, for some of us, we have it connected to tambourines and rainbow ribbons and songs of fellowship. And maybe for some of us, some of us, we have it connected to hobbits and elves and the fellowship of the rings. But for me, for me, each generation receives and rediscovers biblical truth for itself. And fellowship, koinonia, describes what we've just seen here. The disciples together in someone's home around a table. And Jesus appears to eat broiled fish with them. The disciples together on a beach around a fire. And Jesus is already there cooking fish for breakfast. That is koinonia. That is fellowship. That is, that is what Jesus taught his disciples back in Matthew 18 verse 20 when he said, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. That is what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane back in John 17 verse 23 when he said, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Fellowship, fellowship, koinonia is the outworking, is the overflow of our love for God and our love for each other. And it is the the fellowship, the, the koinonia that we experience among us that will cause people who don't yet know Jesus to see him, to see Jesus among us and in us. Someone called Austin Farah once said, We are all members of one another, and one of us is Jesus Christ. We are all members of one another, and one of us is Jesus Christ. Now just let that thought play in your mind for a time. Jesus is among us, and I hunger for more of that. And I hunger for people to love God and to love each other. I hunger for fellowship. And when you have that word, when you have that word fellowship, koinonia, in your head, you keep seeing it through the Gospels, through the book of Acts, on into the letters from Paul and the other writers of the New Testament. Koinonia, fellowship, two or three or more together in the name of Jesus. And what you see, what you see as you read is that whenever, whenever that fellowship, that closeness is threatened, that common emphasis on the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, either threatened from the outside or from the inside, it is defended and it is deepened. And it was in, it was in the the physical, the relational, the emotional, the, the conversational food and drink of fellowship that church got worked out. It got argued out it got strengthened and it got scattered out and we shouldn't we shouldn't spiritualize all of this and live at a distance where church where fellowship doesn't affect our daily lives fellowship is about the heart it's about the heart it is an emotional experience 
That was one of the reasons, one of the reasons, one of the most important reasons that God sent Jesus to communicate to us that I am, I am flesh and blood. I am mouth and stomach. I am fully God and fully human. And I am with you to the very end, calling to your heart, healing your emotions. Jesus is among us and our hunger for more of that. A hunger for fellowship, a hunger for people to love God and to love each other. And through this, through this wild and crazy idea called church, we experience fellowship. We live in fellowship. And a question, a question we need to answer, that we need to answer if we're going to see this through, if we're going to be in this for the, for the long haul, if we're going to be able to put our hearts into it and risk our emotions with it, a question we need to answer is why do we come to church? Why do we come to church? Is it because we enjoy meeting with our friends? Is it because we enjoy the worship, the music, the, the singing? Is it because we get a lot out of the preaching, the challenge and the inspiration of that? Is it for our children because we want them to hear and be shaped by Bible stories? These These are all good reasons, all valid reasons. I experience all of these reasons. I commend these reasons. But but I think we will all, at some point, hit something in our coming to church, in our fellowship with other followers of Christ. We will all hit something where these reasons may be tested. It may come with disappointment. Someone lets us down or the worship, or the teaching, or the shaping of our children doesn't live up to our expectations. It may come with fallout, a disagreement, an argument. Someone says something, or or we say something, and we get upset and hurt. And it's less painful to remain at home, or go to another church, to come out of fellowship. And for me, for me, what needs to come through in our hearts, in our hearts, what comes through in my heart when I ask the question, why do I come to church, are these four powerful words. Christ's love compels me. Christ's love compels me. Through our relationship with Jesus, through our relationship with him, I believe we are compelled, we are urged, we're almost forced to do church, to be church, to fellowship with each other, to show grace And to show love and to show forgiveness to the point where it sometimes hurts. So that Jesus, Jesus may be lifted up in our midst. And we gather. We gather. We gather in large numbers. We gather in small numbers. We gather in homes around around tables. We gather around fires as disciples. We gather to sing, to pray, to listen, to speak. We gather and Jesus Christ is among us. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, even challenge some of you. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Not my words, not my words, but what the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 to 25. And just, just as relevant now as it was when it was written 2,000 years ago, 
And speaking now, speaking into life groups, life groups which are our gatherings in small numbers. When you as life groups meet together, you are fulfilling that scripture. And you should feel encouraged. Don't give up meeting together. Spur each other on towards good deeds. Hold unswervingly to the faith that we profess. And if you are in a life group, then maybe you haven't thought about it like this before and feel challenged by that. The reality is, you can only do so much relationally when we gather in large numbers. A, a, a high how you're doing conversation is about it. But if you really want, if you really want to live it out, then it must be in fellowship, in koinonia. Think about it. You can get a, a brochure on life groups from the back of the church and have a look through. And then if you want to talk to me about joining one or starting a new one, then that would be great. Where I want us, where I want us to, to go now is to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Because that is where we get moments. Moments where fellowship is threatened. Threatened from the outside. Threatened from the inside. And it is. It is in the, the food and the, and the drink of, of fellowship that we see the fullness of the gospel. The good news about Jesus Christ for all who believe. To set the scene for this. We need to understand that the, the early church was birthed in Judaism. And it was separate. Separate from those who the Jewish disciples would have seen as the unclean Gentiles. That is us, you and me, non-Jews. And it hadn't been conceived yet that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit, that the, the fullness of the gospel could be for us as well as the Jewish believers. In Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, Jesus meets with his disciples over a period of, of 40 days. And he gives many convincing proofs that he was alive. And again, he eats with them. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is sent and Peter preaches his heart out and about 3,000 are saved. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we read about the fellowship of the believers, which is church in its foundations. And these are formational verses to read and to reread when you have the time. But it's to Acts chapter 10 that I want us to go. Acts chapter 10. Because I want us to get to the controversy. I want us to get to the story behind the story. And Acts chapter 10, this, this starts off with Cornelius a centurion in the Italian regiment. It says that he and all his family were devout and they were, they were God-fearing. And Cornelius, he had a, a vision. A vision, he saw an angel of God who told him to send to Joppa and bring back a man called Peter. That angel told Cornelius where Peter was staying and it was very precise and Cornelius followed through on this. The next day, the next day, some distance away, Peter was praying on a rooftop and he became hungry and he fell into a trance and reading from Acts chapter 10 verse 11 it says this Acts chapter 10 verse 11 he that is Peter Peter saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet was being let down to earth by its four corners it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air then a voice told him get up Peter kill and eat to Peter, it would have looked like a, a Bush Tucker trial, if you're familiar with that. If not, then don't worry about it. But it got, it got the same reaction from Peter. Surely not, Lord. Surely not, Peter replied. 
I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter was left wondering, wondering what the vision meant. Then the messengers from Cornelius arrived and explained what had happened. The next day, Peter with some of the brothers, they they set out and they travelled to Cornelius' house, arriving the day after. Peter met Cornelius as he entered his house. And reading again in verse 27, it says, Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. To be honest, that wasn't the best way to win friends and to influence people. And you may, you may think, how could Peter, how could he be like that? But what God had revealed through the vision of the food was radical new thinking for Peter. It was transforming thousands of years of Jewish understanding in a moment. And Peter continued but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean so when I was sent for I came without raising any objection may I ask why you sent for me Cornelius explained his vision and Peter had that realization that God was speaking to him God was speaking to them and God didn't show favoritism that Jesus Christ Jesus Christ the gospel the good news was for all who believed Then Peter opened the scriptures to them. And while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all of them. All who heard the message, both Jews and Gentiles. And there was astonishment and there was speaking in tongues. And then Peter said, reading from verse 47, he said, Can anyone, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And don't you just love, don't you just love how God doesn't respect what we put in place for him. Our laws and our orders that it should happen that way. That God just comes in with his Holy Spirit and saves people, almost regardless of our understanding. And the question, the question that comes here for me is about what I see. What I see. I don't walk into a room and see Jews and Gentiles. But what do I see? What do I see when I walk into a room? What do I think? What judgments come into my mind in a moment? Does anything like clean and unclean come into my head? Does anything like who I would and wouldn't associate with come into my head? Do I ever think God can save that person? They are in, but they are out. Peter had a vision. He had a revelation and the Holy Spirit came and all who heard him were saved, both Jews and Gentiles. There was no separation. And later, later on, writing in the the New Testament in Colossians 3, verse 11, following through on this teaching, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. And is in awe. Now, those descriptions there with barbarians and Scythians may not relate too well with where we're at now. They may sound more fellowship of the rings than church. But what Paul, what Paul is saying is that there is no judgment. There's no judgment on difference. 
Salvation is for all who believe. And having made that commitment to Christ, we only see, we only see in fellowship, brothers and sisters. And it comes back. It all comes back to this wild and crazy idea called church where people gather, they gather from all different outlooks together in community to worship God. But for me now, for me now, having looked at these scenes, having read these scriptures, the word, the word together, together is too loose, too distant. And the word that we use must be unity, unity. And the word community, community is too tame, too safe. And the word that we use must be fellowship, koinonia. Church is where people gather from all different outlooks, experiences, cultures, ethnicity, age, gender, economic, financial and academic backgrounds and lifestyles. In unity, in koinonia, in fellowship as brothers and sisters to worship God. Now that is brave. That is courageous that is revolutionary and that is what Jesus had in mind all along as he ate fish ate fish with fishermen and talked about the kingdom of God and you know what Jesus still does that if we respond to his call he still eats fish with fishermen and fisherwomen and calls us fishers of men fishers of women and we're going we're gonna to respond to this. I wanted a beach beside the Sea of Galilee with the fire lit and bread and fish cooking. But it was too expensive to fly you out there. So we're in. We're in God's house now. God's house around his table with the bread and the wine on it. And Jesus will be among us as we do this. The Apostle Paul, he pictured this very same scene that we're going to experience when he wrote to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, he wrote this. He said, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. And again, again, although you didn't hear it there, koinonia, fellowship, that word, it's lost in translation now, but the word participation, participation, a participation in the blood, a participation in the body. The word there in the Greek is koinonia. It is fellowship. We are fellowshipping in the body of Christ. We who are many are one body. And there is, there is a, a depth, a depth to God's word that can only be experienced rather than understood. And as we gather, as we fellowship around the table, Jesus is with us. That's what we're doing here. Not so much understanding, although we seek for understanding, but also experiencing Jesus among us. So the worship team are going to return. They're going to play a worship song over us as we take communion together. And if the servers want to come forward...